Welcome to Emmaus Church. It's good to see you folks. I'm Nathan. Glad you're here. Raise your hand if you like a, a notes page. That'll help you follow along. Somebody can hand you that. Also, there's Bibles that are available, freshly sanitized Bibles, <clears throat> which I normally wouldn't think is a really good thing. I'm not really into sanitizing Bibles, but uh, that's the way it goes. So that's available for you today. If you're new with us, please um, pass on your contact info. It would be great to be able to connect with you. And if you're joining us online, so glad you're here. May this be a powerful experience for you. I hope you're in a place where you can kind of some, in some way uh, preserve some space and some, some focus and that the kids can be involved to the degree that they're able and that you'll plan to join us for communion in a few minutes uh, with some elements there in your home. All right. <clears throat> a couple weeks ago, <clears throat> we had out-of-town company coming in, and we had a ton of work to do to get the house ready, and we had more work to do than time to do it, and everybody was a little bit stressed, but everybody was helping out, and everybody's kind of busy doing their own thing around the house, taking care of stuff, and in the last maybe 45 minutes before the anticipated arrival of all of this family, I started heading outside to mow the lawns, and as I started heading outside to mow the lawns, Carmen said, hey, I, um, I need you to mop the floor, and I said, <laughs> Well, I'm, um, I need to go mow the lawns. And she said, I would really like it if you would mop the floor. So I had myself a little decision I had to make. Remember the Choose Your Own Adventure books when you were a kid? Did anybody do those? Where you can like decide at the end of one page, if he goes right, turn to page 36. If he goes left, do you remember that, Rachel? Okay, we're going to do a little bit of that. So if you think Nate mowed the lawn, raise your hand. Seriously? If you think Nate mop the floor, raise your hand. All right, a resounding support for the... <clears throat> I mowed the lawn. <laughs> I mowed the lawn. Yes, I did, because that's what I wanted to do. Yeah, that's what I wanted to do. So at another time when we had a little more time, we could talk about which job was more important and the process that I went through in order to arrive at this decision and what, what you know, kind of led to it all. But really what it boiled down to in the moment was I did what I wanted to do. All right, we're in a series this fall on the Lord's Prayer and we're going phrase by phrase through this prayer. And what's so important about a prayer that we would spend all this time focusing on this almost word for word. Well, essentially, it boils down to this. Jesus isn't just teaching his, his disciples how to pray. Jesus is teaching his disciples how to live, right? Jesus is teaching his disciples a way of life. He's and all of his teachings teach us a way of living. But historically, the prayer, the Lord's Prayer, has been held up as a summary of his teachings. In other words, the Lord's Prayer is not just a series of phrases that you pray. It's long been embraced as a way to live, as a pattern for relationship with God, as a way to engage the world. So we're diving deep into this prayer this fall in a variety of formats, and there are several reasons for that. But on top of the list is that we have a hope that this prayer would shape our lives and that ultimately our lives could become a prayer. That our lives could become a prayer. So here's a quick 
repeat, a quick review, I should say, of the first three phrases that we've covered in the last three weeks. The prayer begins with an address. The address is our Father by addressing God as Father and by inviting us to as well. Jesus introduces a whole new level of relationship, a whole new kind of possibility between the relationship of people and God. Jesus invites us to call God the same word that little kids call their dad. And so this opens up a whole new level of opportunity and possibility for humanity. Our Father <clears throat> might be the most revolutionary words that Jesus says. Then Jesus um, instructs his followers to pray seven petitions. And we've covered two so far. The first is, hallowed be your name. It's a very strange English phrase. Hasn't been updated since William Tyndale translated the Greek to the English for the very first time in 1526. Nobody says hallowed anymore, but it's still the way we translate it because it becomes such a powerful sort of phrase, at least in the church culture. Essentially, the word means to sanctify or to make holy. So by praying hallowed or holy be your name, we're seeing, we're saying, may your your name be glorified, God. That's probably the most natural way that we would say it in our culture. May your name be glorified. We're both giving glory to God and we're asking God to be glorified through our lives as well. And then the next petition is thy kingdom come. Our worship leader, Melissa Lester, preached on this last week. And when we pray your kingdom come, we're inviting the reign of God. We're, providing, we're, we're praying for the perfect justice and mercy of God to be established here. We're praying that the realm of heaven would arrive here on earth. We're praying that all of creation would be restored and everything would be made right. That's what the kingdom of God is. I really appreciated Melissa just diving in and applying this teaching to our modern, our current political context. Because in the next month especially, we're going to hear each candidate referred to as the one who will save us. We're going to hear the opposing candidate accused of being the one who will lead us to absolute destruction and despair, and our guy is going to make everything right. Jesus teaches his followers to raise our vision above all of that, right? Not to necessarily refuse to participate in the governing structures in which we live, but not to become so wrapped up in political parties and earthly kingdoms and, and power structures of men, but to preach and to live according to a different kingdom, which is the kingdom of God. To live first and foremost as citizens of the city of God, whose right and true king is Jesus. And then the next petition, the third request, is the phrase that we'll focus on today. Uh, it's potentially the most difficult part of the prayer. I think it's the most challenging part of the whole way of life, the whole way of Jesus. And here's why. It's because it is a surrender of the will. It's because it is a prayer of obedience. That's why it's so challenging. In his short book, Reflections on the Lord's Prayer, Daniel Sahas writes, preoccupied, conditioned, and enslaved by our own interested and selfish will, this petition is admittedly the most difficult for humans to comprehend and even more difficult to put into action. In his book, Praying the Lord's Prayer, J.I. Packer says, when I say, thy will be done, I should mean it as a prayer that I, along with the rest of God's people, may learn to be obedient. 
And in his book on the Lord's Prayer, Albert Haas, who's a Franciscan friar, argues that praying thy will be done is allowing our baptismal commitments to influence every decision. What's your baptismal commitment? It's the commitment to follow Jesus. So he says, you pray, thy will be done. You're, you're praying that your commitment to following Jesus affects everything, everything. Jesus' disciples ask him. So, so what we're looking at today is this phrase, thy will be done. It's the third petition of the Lord's Prayer, thy will be done. Jesus' disciples say, teach us to pray. Jesus responds by saying, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done as it, on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will be done, not somebody else's will be done, your will be done, the Father's will be done. The prayer, your kingdom come, and your will be done are really closely related. Albert Haas argues that the full realization of the kingdom of God the full realization of the kingdom of God, already here, not yet fully realized, but he argues that the full realization of the kingdom of God and doing Abba's will are virtually synonymous for Jesus. In other words, the way I partner with God in the coming of the kingdom of heaven on earth is to surrender my will to God. That's how I partner with this big cosmic arrival of the kingdom of God. I partner in that by surrendering my will. Another way to say that is that Jesus is teaching us that the reign of God takes hold initially in each individual as she or he surrenders to God. So the kingdom come, the prayer, thy kingdom come, is this macro, cosmic, all of creation gets restored and everything gets made right kind of prayer. Thy will be done is saying, I'm in. I'm in. Thy kingdom come is this prayer that heavenly realities will take hold on earth, that future realities like perfect justice will be lived out now. Thy will be done is the prayer, start with me. Start with me. All at once, at the same time, I'm totally captivated by the wonder that I could be part of the restoration of all things. Truly, that's a very compelling idea to me, that I could be part of the restoration of all things. And at the same time, I'm struck by how hard it is, just how practically difficult it is to surrender my will to the will of another. That's a very hard thing to do. So here's our outline. Here's what I want to do the next couple minutes. I'm going to share two observations about surrendering my will. And then one thought about how to surrender your will to another. And then I'll just end with a couple quick reminders, okay? So we'll begin with two observations about surrendering my will. I really hope that these are helpful. These will be personal, and there's a, so much more that we could say here. There's so many observations, and I want, I'm sure you have observations about this topic, and I want to invite you to, to send me an email or a text and, and share with me what you notice about this topic, thy will be done. Let's try to make it more of a, I want to hear from you about this as well. So my first thought about surrendering my will is this. It requires humility. 
One of the topics that we've discussed in my home multiple times with our kids over the last six or seven months and all of this craziness has been the brokenness that's just been on massive display everywhere we look. What's going on, they say. Why are they saying those things are the questions. Why is this still happening are some of the the things that we've been talking about. Well, the Bible's creation story describes all of the brokenness, all of the destruction, all of the hate, all of the death in the world as a direct result of pride or selfishness, of humanity choosing to reject the will of God and instead choose to do what we want to do. That's the biblical narrative. So there's a sense in which the Lord's prayer reminds us of the bigger story of brokenness even as the prayer is praying for restoration. It reaches all the way back and acknowledges that things are really messed up. Quoting again from this this author, Daniel Sahas, he says, Adam fell by having been tricked into setting his own will above the will of God and alienating himself from his creator. The Lord's Prayer reminds us of the pitfalls of our own will and teaches us the way of avoiding the same disaster on a personal daily basis. What is the way of avoiding that um, same disaster? He says, by giving primacy to God's will. In other words, prioritizing the will of God. He goes on to say that prayer to begin with is for the humble of heart for those seeking and longing for restoration. In other words, the prayer, your will be done, is an expression of repentance for all of humanity. At once, I am admitting, hey, we've been doing it our way, and at the same time, I'm praying, and we should be doing it your way. Thy will be done. It's a humble prayer. It's a humble prayer. Because it, 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 in the same time, as you're asking for something, as you're praying for something, as you're committing yourself to something, you're acknowledging this very easy alternative track, which is I'll just go do what I want. So when my kids, in so many words, say, why is there so much brokenness in this world? Why are things so bad? Where's all this pain and evil coming from? I've been trying to gently but clearly help my kids see, well, it comes from selfishness. It comes from pride. From living like I'm the most important person in the room. And nobody has immunity against that. We're all susceptible to that radical selfishness. But why is it so hard to wrap our heads around this then? Well, because the world teaches us the opposite of humility. In so many ways, the world teaches us that it is all about me. That i got to look out for number one, and that's me. That I am the most important person in the room. So this conversation that we're having in my family... It's literally about what story are we going to believe? What story are we going to believe? The story of the Bible, which is that pride is the problem and humility is the road to restoration? Or the story that is glorified in so much of our culture, which is humility is weak and you should do what you want to do? In the 4th century, there's a guy who lived a really wild life and then turned to Jesus. His name was Augustine. We call him St. Augustine. And he writes this. He says, if you love the world, it will surely engulf you because it always devours its lovers, never nourishes them, never sustains them. If you love the world, it will surely engulf you. It always devours its lovers. It never sustains them. 
<clears throat> I don't know almost anything about pop music culture. I mean, almost nothing. Uh, but I read people who know a lot about it. And apparently, there's some pretty big names in pop music culture right now, like Justin Bieber, uh, Chance the Rapper, um, Kanye West, who are who have arrived, who have accomplished, who have received like what everybody declares to be the ultimate, and yet they're talking about the emptiness of this life that they've arrived at, and instead are asking questions about relationship with God and are investigating and exploring their faith. It's fascinating to me, but essentially the same journey that Augustine was on in 400 AD, reaching the pinnacle of what the world could offer and then realizing it's empty. In his confessions, Augustine says that our hearts are restless until they find rest in God. It's this whole idea that the world will devour its lovers. It always does. It never nourishes them. All right, so my first observation is simply this. The prideful man will not pray, thy will be done. The prideful man will probably not pray at all because praying in and of itself is an act of humility. It takes humility to pray, thy will be done, and it requires humility to surrender your will to another. It sounds really good to surrender your will to another, but it's so hard. That's why I mowed the lawn, right? <laughs> That's why I mowed the lawn. Yeah. Here's a second observation about surrendering my will. Surrendering my will is an action. It's something I do. Jesus teaches us to pray, thy will be done. Be done. <laughs> Not thy will be considered. Right? Not thy will be taken into consideration. Not thy will be valued. Not thy will be studied in graduate school. Oh, my word. How did we get there? Thy will be um, understood. That's not what we're praying. He teaches his disciples to pray, thy will be done. Done. Occasionally I get these one-word emails, and I love these emails, from any of the great people on our staff team. The subject line will be re, colon, whatever I wrote them about, and then the, and then the body of the email will be one word, done. I just love that. I just love that. It's so satisfying to me. Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, thy will be done. My first observation is that praying this prayer requires humility. My second observation is that um, this prayer requires action. Daniel Sahas helped me to see this. He says, God's will has to be done. It's not a slogan. It's not an idea. It's not an abstraction. God's will is action. It is a way of life, a moving force for all human endeavors and expressions. J.I. Packer translates this phrase, thy will be done, as may your will happen. In other words, when I pray your will be done, I'm not saying, gosh, I hope your will happens, God. And I'm not saying whatever will be, will be. That's not the prayer. It's a prayer, and I'm praying it. What does that mean? It means that I'm offering myself. I'm offering my day, 
my abilities and my resources to God at the service of the answer to this prayer. I'm surrendering my plans to God, and I'm saying whatever you want to happen will happen, and I'm praying that what you want to happen will be accomplished through me. That's why this isn't a statement. That's why this is a prayer. I'm offering my, Jesus is teaching his disciples to place themselves in a very specific place in relation to how they're going to go about their day. I'm praying that I will not refuse to do God's will like Adam did. I'm praying that I will accomplish God's will like Jesus did. Thy will be done. Some of us are okay with surrendering to God, but our surrender is so passive. It's just so passive. It's just sitting on the couch. It's like, oh, I'm just going to let God. Jesus' surrender to the Father looked like picking up a cross and walking miles along a road to Golgotha. Okay? He prayed the night before, if there's any other way, if there's any other way. But in the end of that prayer, Jesus says, but not my will be done, but your will be done. And then God accomplished his greatest work, which is the salvation of the world. How did he accomplish that? Through his son. Okay? God always accomplishes his will through his children who say, thy will be done. And the implication is through me, like I'm available. So those are just two observations. I could add several more. To reiterate, surrendering to the will of God is an act of humility, which is why it's so hard for me. And surrendering to the will of God is an action, right? It's an action. It means God's will gets done. It's hard. It's difficult. As I said at the beginning, the prayer, your will be done, is the most difficult part of the Lord's prayer for me. Because it is a prayer of obedience. It is a surrender of the will. All right, here's a final thought. How can we do this practically? How can we not just pray, thy will be done, but how can we live this out? That's a book, but here's the short answer. It takes practice, and you can't do it alone. The short answer is it takes practice, and you can't do it alone. A couple summers ago, I was living in Italy with monks. I was so excited for this trip. It took me two years to prepare for it. And one of the, the purpose of my going to this monastery, I'd read, the, I'd read Benedictine spirituality for 10 years, but I'd never actually hung out with monks and had good conversations with them. And so I wanted to go live with monks. And here's the question I wanted to ask them. How do you take something of what you do in this ancient Christian spiritual tradition, and how can we maybe adapt and translate that to non non-monastic American, North American churches like ours, right? So it's the second day that I'm there at the monastery, and I get invited to join this monk selling beer at the little beer store that the monks ran down in town. This is how they supported their monastery. They brewed beer, and then they sold it in this little teeny store. And all morning long, I got to ask all kinds of monk questions to this guy in between, you know, the few random customers that came, including, which I thought was the, the local police. They filled up their trunk with this stuff, which I thought was so interesting. Their, their, their squad car. 
It was hilarious. So here I am, I'm talking to this monk, and I ask him this question. This is my main question. How can non-monastic North American Christian churches, that's us, adapt and embrace some version of monastic spirituality? Monastic means single-focused, right? Fully devoted. How can we take something of what you guys do here and do it there? And I got my journal out, and I got my pen ready, and I'm just ready to rock. I'm ready to take notes. And this guy with his big red beard, he looks at me very calmly, and he says, you can't. (laughs) And I was like, no, listen, I came all the way from America to talk to you about this. He's like, no, you can't. And I'm like, oh, come on, man. That's not the answer I want. And he wouldn't budge. You can't. And he gave me, he didn't just say you can't. He gave me five or six reasons why you can't. Um, And he said, essentially, the only way to experience monastic spirituality is to be a monk. And now these guys were young. They're very passionate. They're completely committed. You have to be. This guy grew up in Los Angeles, okay? And now he's a monk in Italy. He's 26 years old. You don't do that unless you believe this is the only way to go, right? So fully committed. And so from their perspective, you can't modify this. You can't adapt this. You can't water this down. You can't apply this to your little American context. And I appreciated that, and I think he's mostly right. But one of the reasons he gave... To support his answer, you can't, I've thought about a lot over and over and over again. And not only have I thought about it, but I've discovered that this answer also appears in ancient Christian texts for like a thousand years. Very rarely, if ever, will you find it in any modern Christian writing. The reason he said you can't is this. You don't obey anyone. (laughs) That's what he said. You don't obey anyone. Every monastery has an abbot, a father. Actually, it's the same word as Abba, the same word Jesus uses in the Lord's Prayer. The monastery has an abbot, and the monks obey the abbot as Christ. It's not about the man. It's about who the man represents. Okay? And the way they learn how, here's my point, the way they learn how to surrender their will to God is by practicing surrendering their will to the abbot. American Protestants get rashes when we use this kind of language. We don't like to think about this kind of stuff at all. We're Americans, and most of us here are Protestant, right? We, no, no, it's individualism, right? It's I'll do it. Evangelicals don't obey their pastors, right? They evaluate them, okay? This is not something that's a part of our our vernacular. And I'm certainly not arguing that a structure that works for monks or that works for Marines will work in the local church context. But I am noticing that regular guys like me who have actually learned to obey another to surrender their will to another. They've learned how to do this by practicing it. And I'm also noticing that those who take seriously this prayer, your will be done, both in ancient terms and the very few modern writers, usually not Protestants, agree. You learn obedience to God through the submission of your will to another. You can't do this alone. It takes humility That's my first observation. It is an action. It's something you 
do, not just think about. That's my second observation. And here's my how-to. It takes practice. It takes practice. If you, in other words, if you can't obey another person whom you can see, you can hear, you know, you trust, how are you even going to begin to obey God? That's the logic, right? You're going to have a really hard time submitting to God. Most of the modern material on this verse, thy will be done, is so focused on how do we determine what the will of God is. we got to know what is the will of God. Teach me how to discern the will of God. As if that would actually help us. Ha! It misses the point. We want more information. Why? So we kind of sit back and go, maybe I will, maybe I will. I mean, it's missing the point. It's not going to help you to know the will of God. That's a separate question. Essentially, this prayer is, may I be given the grace to submit to the will of God, whatever it is. Believe me, if God wants you to do something, he's going to make it clear. The whole, the whole rabbit trail of what is the will of God is a rabbit trail. It is a distraction, okay? The real issue is, Will you surrender to the will of God? Will you pray, thy will be done, not my will be done? Okay, we got to learn to surrender to the will of God. We don't have to learn what the will of God is. We have the Bible, we have the church, and God's going to make it really clear if he wants you to do something. So what the critical issue is, is will you surrender? So here's how it goes. If you're married, it's clear. Okay? If you're married, it's clear. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's a direct quote from Paul, Ephesians chapter 5. It's probably referring to the whole church. It is, ex- it is absolutely referring to the married couple. You practice surrendering your will to the person that some of you are sitting next to, the person you made a vow to. That's how you practice it. If you're not married and you're young, you could practice surrendering your will by submitting to your parents. You're not just going to learn suddenly how to surrender your will to God with no practice. Okay. If you're older, you submit to a home group, you submit to a good spiritual friend, submit to an accountability partner, submit to a spiritual director. All of us, whether we're married or not, we're called to obey the word of God. So it's not as if this is some sort of a high level of spiritual accomplishment. This is, this is what we're all called to do. Okay. We resist obedience language. I know we resist it. It's because of all the abuses of power, and I understand that. But we cannot, therefore, dismiss the role that all these people play in our journey of learning how to trust and obey God. Surrender takes practice, and so in his goodness, God gives us marriage, and God gives us family, and God gives us the church. And if none of those will work, then you could be a monk, (laughs) right? We got to learn to do this. We got to practice this. And the uncomfortable, risky reality is that it takes another. Okay. It takes another. That's how we practice it. All right, two quick reminders to wrap it up. First, remember this, friends. God is for you. Okay. God is for you. Every word of the Lord's Prayer invites us to respond to the love of God as a father. Every word of the Lord's Prayer invites us to respond 
to God as a loving Father. This is how we should pray because this is how we should live. May God's will be done in my life. Why? Because God's will is the best option. Because God's will is the only good, is only good. God's will is only good. It is good for me. It is good for those around me. It's good for God. That's the reminder. Remember that God is for you. He's for you. You're not being asked to surrender to a tyrant. You're not being asked to obey some manipulative um, ruler. God is for you. When we resist God's will, we're falling into this well-worn pattern of rebellion, and it's rooted in pride, and it leads to destruction. We know that trail well. We don't need to go on it again. When we resist God, that's what we're doing. We don't need to because God is for us. He's for us. Yeah. And then the last reminder, Jesus has gone before you. He's gone before you. Jesus has shown you the way. He's, he's given us a perfect example to follow. Jesus himself prayed, not my will but yours be done. Did you know that? Jesus himself faced head on the challenges of obedience and real temptations to find another route, just as we do. But Jesus demonstrated devotion to God the Father. He demonstrated it for us. We don't have to figure it out on our own. God the Father is for us. God the Son has gone before us and shown us the way. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the prayer. I want to invite you to listen for one more minute. I know I just said a lot of stuff. Write some observation down. Try to name a feeling or an issue that's coming up in your mind and heart. An objection, a question. And I would just ask you the question I've been asking myself for the last 10 days as I've been working on this sermon. Can you pray this prayer? Are you willing to pray this prayer? invite you to speak to the Lord about that. I've been praying, God, I want so bad to do your will, and when it comes to it, I want to do what I want to do. So please give me grace to see the truth. recognize who you are as my creator, my Lord, my rescuer. Help me to model the way of Jesus to those who are looking to me for guidance.
get my will out of the way. May your will be done. Your good and perfect will, may it be done in my life, through my life. God bless the church today. Give them courage and grace. May we serve you as your children and as your church. May your will be done on earth, in our homes, in our marriages, in this city, as it is in heaven. Amen.